Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Rahaza Sheikh. In continuing with our theme on climate-related disclosure requirements, today's podcast focuses on the recently published Securities and Exchange Commissions, i.e. the SEC's new proposal addressing climate-related disclosures. And to talk us through the proposal, I have Andreas Ohl, a partner in our US accounting consulting services team joining us today. Welcome to IFS Talks, Andreas. Thanks for having me. So the proposed amendments impact both domestic and international entities that are registered on the SEC. Um, and it's a requirement to include climate related information in their registration statement and period reports. The proposal covers a range of disclosures, including but not limited to Number one, disclosing climate-related risks and their actual or likely impact on the entity's business. Uh, number two, strategy and outlook. Number three, disclosure of greenhouse gas emissions, which would be subject to assurance. And number four, certain climate-related financial statement metrics in the audited financial statements. So there's lots of information to digest. So Andreas, where, where do you even begin? I understand that the proposal is almost 500 pages long. And you and the team have been very busy working your way through the proposal and preparing our draft comment response letter. So I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate a high level summary of what it entails. Maybe we begin with perhaps what the SEC's objectives are in relation to the proposal. Sure. And yes, it is a very robust document. So I think it's important to understand that the you know, the SEC is the securities regulator in the US and their primary role is the protection of investors. And so part of the reason that the document is as long as it is, is that there's lots of references in there to academic studies, statements made by investors, surveys, other other indications that information regarding companies' exposure to climate risks and and, and opportunities for that matter. It's not just the risk-focused analysis. That, that those are very important to investors the uh, at the current time. And so a lot of the text in there is just demonstrating that the information that they are requiring or proposing that they require, that that is information that many different investors in many different forums have said, this is important information. We need more of it. We need it to be presented in a more consistent manner across companies and over time such that uh, you know we the invest investor community can perform the types of analysis that we would traditionally do using financial information where we have that same level of everybody follows the same standard and have consistent reporting deadlines etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah and that's that's actually a really helpful lens to um think of it from you know the perspective of which the proposal is written so I mean building on that what are the themes in this proposal that are perhaps similar to existing IFRS reporting if if any for example where there might be overlap with existing requirements such as IS1 perhaps yeah so I I, I'm glad you asked the question the way you did because most of the things that you read about these new standards or, or these proposals that are coming out from various bodies around the world is everyone's always focused on the differences either between the different proposals or differences relative to existing reporting that's out there and I think it is important to emphasize that there are actually quite a few similarities um, I think one of the biggest things is 
if you look at the proposal from the ISSB, if you look at what's going on with the EU, all of them are trying to leverage the TCFD framework as it relates to climate. And the SEC proposal does the same thing. And as a result, you you see a lot of similarities in terms of the four pillars and thing, things of that nature. So I, I think it's important that people realize that there's actually quite a few similarities. There are certainly differences, but but that they have more in common than you might uh, initially uh, initially expect, which I think is uh, which is a good thing. It's certainly again, if you take into account that the goal here is to provide better information to the user community, I think the more consistency you have across industries and geographies, the you know the better it will be for the the, the user community. So again, the you know, the document tries to focus on what is uh, significant information for uh, for investors, and so it is looking at risks and opportunities. There are some things in there, maybe very specific to your question. Like for example, the SEC proposal says that they think the boundary for climate reporting should be the same as for financial reporting, which. I think is basically what the ISSB has said uh, as well. That's not necessarily what everyone is doing in practice today, and particularly for certain uh, for certain metrics like emissions, where some companies use a uh, a reporting boundary that's different than just reporting for the entities that they legally control and therefore would include in their consolidated financial statements. Um, there's also some things in there around having comparatives you know there is some understanding that maybe in the beginning having historical information might be a challenge so that uh, there are some provisions around how to deal with comparables you know in the initial phase but similar to accounting standards or what the ISSB has proposed I think the idea is that going forward that you want to have comparable information uh, or prior period information, and then to the extent that there's changes in, in estimates and the like, and there's guidance on how to uh, how to deal with that. So again, very similar to what we're used to in the uh, in the accounting world. In terms of you know, specific requirements, I think there's a couple that really jump out. One is that they will require scope one and two emissions to be disclosed and and audited. Scope three is more a function of it's either a voluntary or b if a company actually has a published a published target. And there's some question around what that means exactly, but uh, that if you have a published target, you need to disclose scope three. But that's not assured at this uh, at this point is what the proposal says. So that's one significant piece of it. Um, and then the other piece is that unlike the other ESG standard setters guidance at the moment, there is a piece of the SEC proposal that is actually a inside the financial statements where they would uh, require some new disclosures about climate impacts on each financial statement line item. So each line item in the balance sheet income statement and PL to the extent it's material, but they actually have a definition of materiality that is probably lower than what most companies apply in practice. It's sort of a 1% materiality threshold. And they have quite a bit of detail in the in the proposal as to how exactly one would measure that uh, that 1%. If you have pluses and minuses, how to handle that. And 
and things of that nature. So it's it's a bit of a new concept, but I think especially for companies outside the U.S. that are uh, registrants inside the U.S., this will raise some interesting questions of, uh, you know, if the SEC is requiring this footnote and it's not something that you're reporting in your home country, you know, how to manage how to manage that, that you might have, you know, reporting in an SEC filing that's not in your home country filing. Is that tenable? If not, then maybe you have to put something into your home country filing that's not, you know, explicitly mandated by IFRS or, uh, or U.S. GAAP as promulgated by the uh, by the accounting standards setters. Thanks, Andreas. That's actually really helpful insight, particularly, I think, you know, just that insight in terms of the level of additional disclosure that might be required on an FSLI basis, you know, materiality dependent. Is, is there anything else that you'd flag in terms of where the proposal goes beyond IFRS that might be subject for assurance, for example? I don't think there's anything else from a assurance perspective. I mean, obviously anything that goes into the financial statements needs to be assured. So that probably is the most significant deviation because I think most companies are are already either reporting scope one and two or you know preparing to do that because that's very much a, a baseline sort of I don't know, best practice out there. And I think most of the other standard setters are also requiring that. So the fact that it's assured will obviously there'll be some effort involved in that. And maybe that won't be the case in every market around the world on the same timeline. Although I think that the EU is moving in that direction too. So I would say this this one percent rule inside the financials is probably the most fundamental difference because it is inside the uh, inside the financial statements. Sure, sure. And there's something you touched on earlier, just in terms of, I guess, how this proposal is built up. So, you know, with reference to the TCFD, the task force on climate related financial disclosures, and you also briefly, you know, touched on the IWSB exposure drafts. There's also the European sustainability reporting standards out there. In in your view, you know, how does the SEC proposal compare to them? Is there anything else that you'd you'd add on your views and how they compare, maybe? Well, so first of all, the the SEC pro proposal is largely focused on climate, whereas uh, you know, particularly the EU proposal covers on all elements of ESG, but even within the in even within the E, right? The European proposal gets into biodiversity and water pollution and marine life and lo lots of things that are outside the scope of the SEC proposal. So the SEC proposal really is, while it's 500 pages, it's fairly narrowly focused on, on the climate um, issue. So that, that's probably the, you know, the most fundamental difference. And then this idea that, you know, they are actually making changes to inside the financial statements, which I think the you know, TCFD and the uh, ISSB and what's going on in the EU, those don't directly impact the financials, right? They're more other parts of your sustainability report or other parts of the uh, the annual report. Now, the, the, the pieces of the SEC proposal that leverage TCFD, those are very much addressing disclosures that would appear elsewhere in the documents. So typically in places like MDNA or what people outside the U.S. often refer to as management commentary. 
And I think th those requirements are, are fairly similar to what you see coming out of the EU, coming out of um, the ISSB. And then maybe the other thing that they have in common, the, you know, the requirements maybe aren't exactly aligned, but there's clearly a focus on understanding how, how the company is thinking about and going to manage transition risks, right? So that's certainly something that uh, all three frameworks have in, uh, have in common. You know, there's sort of the absolute exposure to, to climate, and then there's the, okay, well, you're going to have to make some changes in your operating model or whatever it might be, or where your assets are located or whatever the impact might be. But how are you going to uh, go about doing that? And what are some of the, you know, the costs and risks and challenges around that, uh, that transition process? Sure. Th thanks, Andreas. I think that's helpful just to, I guess, understand how this all comes together or, you know, just um, giving our listeners that, overview of um, how they might compare or where they might compare. I guess it'd be interesting to get your perspective on, you know, what should entities sh be focusing on now? You know, what would be your advice to those that are impacted by the SEC proposal? I mean, where would they look for more information and how should they go about digesting the proposal? Yeah, well, so, I mean, Obviously, you, you probably want to read through it, even though it is 500 pages. Like I said, if you have some familiarity with TCFD and with the uh, some of the, the, the either the standards or draft standards that are out there from other bodies, a lot of it will be familiar, and so you'll know you'll recognize a lot of the same terminology and concepts. And so you can, if you have some familiarity with ESG reporting. I think you can work through it relatively quickly, notwithstanding the fact that it's 500 pages. Uh, I, I think probably the most important thing to understand is that uh, you know th this is moving probably on a different timeline than than some of the other standards. So as of right now, you know this is a 60-day comment period, and based on how the SEC typically, you know works through proposals they can go from the end of the comment period to digesting the comments to you know publishing a final uh a final rule relatively quickly so it's not you know it's not at all outside of the realm of possibility that this would be effective um you know like next year we don't know yet that's one of the areas that you know one of the questions that's open for comment i'm sure plenty of people will say they they need more time but you know this is this is coming and it's probably coming in a you know in a form that's not all that different than uh, the way it's uh, currently currently drafted. So companies certainly should read it and start to think about to what extent do they already have reporting and processes that they can leverage. So if you're already doing something like TCFD reporting, there'll be a lot there that you can uh, that you can work with. Um, but they're certainly going to have to build some new processes, particularly related to the piece that's inside the financial statements, because that's not something that probably most companies, if any, are, are doing currently. So that's going to be subject to the same rules as everything else in financial statements with internal controls and uh, and, and the like. And again, since it's inside the financial statements, it will uh, it will need to be audited. So 
all all of that needs to be planned for i would think about that almost like when you have a significant new accounting standard where you have a whole bunch of things that need to be lined up in order to be able to uh, report under that new standard when the when it goes effective this is probably not too dissimilar there are because the way this is written it's written as a you know as a as a rule and it's largely disclosure based so it doesn't have the same accounting standard architecture maybe that the issb has or even that the uh, the eu initiative has so th there are no doubt some things where people will have to write some policies and the like because you can't just largely lift language out of a, out of a standard like you maybe sometimes can you know, when you're dealing with an accounting a new accounting standard where you have to create internal policies so that you know you apply consistently throughout the uh, throughout the organization so but just there's a lot to think about and like i said the the time around this may be fairly uh, may be fairly accelerated the the other thing that i think people need to think about is while i mentioned that there are a lot of similarities between what's going on with the eu what's going on in the uk right because the uk is requiring tcfd for ever more um, public companies at least and what the sec is requiring and then we don't know yet what jurisdictions are going to adopt the issb standards so that's another unknown but one of the questions will be reciprocity so there will be certainly multinationals that will potentially be within the scope of the SEC rules. They'll be caught up at least in part by the European rules, perhaps as the UK expands their reporting beyond public companies, maybe they'll get caught up in that too. And one of the things that companies need to start to think about is to what degree can one set of reporting be leveraged so that it covers all of these different requirements as opposed to having completely separate work streams for for each one and that that's going to be uh you know particularly for the larger multinationals who are going to be caught in more than one of these regulatory regimes i would imagine that there will be a a uh, an attempt to find a way to you know leverage as much of the reporting across all of the different regulatory requirements as as uh, as possible so uh that that's probably at least for those companies would be on the top of my uh, on the top of my list. Thanks, Andreas. I think it's definitely a really important point to reflect on, particularly for those where there are large uh, multinationals impacted by the various different requirements, um, and how they sort of consider the extent of what of which the requirements can be leveraged. So, a very very useful insight indeed. And I guess in terms of the the next steps of the proposal, you, you've mentioned that you know there's a 60 day comment period. It's very fast moving, and it effectively you could, we could have the proposal finalised in the very near future, even after the 60 days. So, is is there anything else you'd add in terms of next steps that you may not have covered? Um, no, I think that's a pretty good summary of what's going to happen. I mean, there's other uncontrollable factors such as, uh, you know, there's some in Congress who don't like the proposal. They're not currently in power, so there's probably not a lot that will happen at the congressional level, but there will no doubt be some lawsuits from uh, from from certain states that are, 
uh, you know, have large fossil fuel industries because they feel like this uh, proposal is targeting them in some way. So um, there, there are still some macro uncertainties, um, but whether that would stop the rule or just, you know, maybe uh, have the rule change in some way at some point in in the future after people have already adopted it is is very unclear how that would all play out. So I think for the moment, you should work under the assumption that this rule will be finalized, you know, later in the year and could be effective, you know, as soon as uh, as soon as next year. And if it's not next year, the year after, in which case, you know, given how much is in this, that would still be a, a fair amount of work to get done, even if it's you know not effective until 2024. Sure. And I guess that brings us up to the the wrap up of the podcast. I think a very similar theme that you know has come throughout this podcast and the previous podcast we did on the IWSP exposure drafts as well is that it's a very pivotal moment in the reporting of financial statements, and this is a um, a great opportunity to feedback views and concerns that entities might have. So again, just want to encourage entities that are impacted to, you know, read the proposal and respond as well. So thank you very much, Andreas, for joining me and our listeners today. Um, I really appreciate you walking us through the proposal and sharing your insights. And thank you to our listeners. Tune in next time as I continue on my mini series on climate related disclosures and how this impacts or will impact financial reporting going forward. Until next time, stay safe and happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.